electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dee, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the end of the correction. Was that it? Is it safe to buy stocks again? If so, what? The Investment Committee with us today, answering your questions, debating your money. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sakosha, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, John Najarian. Also with us today is Kate Moore, the head of thematic strategy for BlackRock's global allocation team. It's good to see everybody. Stocks are higher again. Bond yields are higher again. Bitcoin is up today. Shannon, was that it? Correction now over. Seems a little premature, doesn't it? I thought the world was ending last week. <laughs> uh, no, in, in all honesty, I, I think that what we're seeing is that um, earnings are strong. We're ahead of tech earnings next week. And I think that that always creates a bit of enthusiasm. Uh, there hasn't been any negative news coming from the Fed. Economic data remains fairly supportive of that narrative. And so, you know, I think that we are perhaps crested over this most recent bit of weakness. But, you know, look at the, I mean, look at the tenure. You noted it. I mean, we're up, what, 14 points? Um, That's not normal behavior. And I think the bond market will continue to be in, you know, in focus over the next couple of months, especially as we look towards Jackson Hole. I think the equity market is going to digest earnings over the next three or four weeks and then look for that next catalyst. And I expect that we could see some additional softness then. Um, I think it's important not to get whipsawed here. Um, You know, we're oscillating between these two narratives. The truth is somewhere in between. Um, We have a lot of exogenous uh, shocks that could come along with, you know, things such as Jackson Hole, the the Delta variant and now the Lambda variant that's been diagnosed in uh, Texas. And so I think there are a lot of things for us to be looking at. But I think right now, everybody's excited about Tech Week next week. And we're going to have a few days of some some pretty nice market behavior. I wonder if you think, Doc, we overdid it on this Delta fear sell off we had, you know, Friday, Monday, the market pull back, pulls back dramatically. Now we've had this nice rebound. You saw and you talked about the, what the VIX did. We talked to Lee Cooperman yesterday. He's, he's not looking for a big air pocket lower. Here's what Lee said. You can react to it on the other side, Doc. In the end term, the conditions that lead to a big decline aren't present. I mean, where are you going to go with your money? You know, if my choice is uh, cash earning zero, uh, a 10-year bond, which is ridiculous at 1-3, or buying my favorite equity. He's going to buy his favorite equity. Is that, is that the move, Doc? Yeah, that is the move, Scott. And uh, as I described yesterday, the way I do it is uh, generally when vol comes in as much as it's in. I mean, uh, it dropped dramatically yesterday, Scott, down another 6% in the VIX today. We're falling through 19 back down to about the 1850 level. So uh, was it overdone? The fear came, of course, because we saw the 10-year rate move so quickly to the downside. 
Um, it's the same thing as when the 10-year rate was moving up in February and March, Scott. Uh, when you see moves in that multi-trillion dollar market that are happening in, at light speed, that scares people. It pushes them to the sidelines. They don't know what's going on. So instead, they just you know hold cash in both cases. They held cash when they saw the rates jump up. They held cash when they saw the rates go down so dramatically. I still think we're going to see a trend lower uh, and that we will pl probably plumb down towards that 1% level, Scott. But just as we said uh, in the first part of the year, as long as it doesn't happen real fast, as long as it's a steady progression, I don't think that's going to cause people to freak out. Instead, I think they'll look at it as Mr. Cooperman did, that this is a great opportunity to uh, accumulate some stocks. So, Kate Moore, I mean, you know, it's the most simplistic question. Um, but it's the most obvious one. It's the one everybody's thinking about. Was that it? Is, was this 3% move lower the bulk of the correction, right? We wake up, we realize, where else are you going to put your money, as Lee said? Bond yields are low. The economic story continues to improve. Yes, the Delta variant is a concern, but the vaccines are good. The vaccines work. They do. And look, uh, we still believe equities are the best and most attractive asset class through the balance of the year and probably well into 2022. That said, I don't know that we've seen the end of some of the air pockets in the equity market. You know, positioning is really full. This is something I've been focusing on a lot. We see institutional investors and retail investors participating in the market. That's great. But the question is, you know, absent a big catalyst, and I, and I think Shannon mentioned this a moment ago, you know, we've got earnings, but people are expecting earnings growth to be outstanding. The question is, what is sustainable earnings after this phenomenal quarter? And then we have Jackson Hole. But absent a huge catalyst to put a, you know, additional risk on, especially given that we have had very, um, you know, considerable positionings in equities across institutional and individual investors. It's like, you know, we may see some sort of sideways movement, a few of these air pockets. I do tend to believe that when we get these air pockets, it's a great opportunity to re-up your uh, strongest conviction calls. And for us, you know, that's in the tech space, that's in the consumer space, and we continue to think there's more upside in energy. Wow. Absent a big catalyst. Now, it's a tough crowd. I have a tough crowd I'm dealing with, Kate Moore. I mean, well, we're gonna have, we're, aren't we having an economic boom? Aren't, aren't earnings improving? Aren't rates they are low? Improving. What more do you need? They are improving, but I think the big question, Scott, is whether or not the pace of economic recovery will slow a little bit with the Delta variant and also because the comps get a little harder in the second half of the year, and whether or not earnings growth, well, I think it's impossible for it to sustain a 60% growth year over year, you know, what sustainable earnings growth looks like. So even if the market uh, may not have a huge catalyst. I think we will see some catalysts for rotation underneath the surface. And I think this is the time to be focused on high quality growth at a reasonable price. Those are our two favorite style themes. Okay. So Steve Weiss, for somebody who has been concerned about the market, as you have stated on this program, judging by your moves today, you don't appear to still be because you bought Dick Sporting Goods, you bought Qualcomm, you bought NVIDIA, and you bought Freeport McMoran again. So what does that say about where your own sentiment is right now? 
So it's more positive than I went to cash, which was about 35% cash that I had. And what did I say? I said, it's time to have some cash in the sidelines so you do what Kate said, which is go into your stronger conviction names, which I did. I increased them. And to buy quality, which I did, which was Dix. I've been waiting for Dix to fall back below 100, and I got around 95, 96. But here's what's changed. I did have concerns about the Delta variant. And what we learned is that the Delta variant is actually not that bad. Sure, it's much more contagious. But when you take a look at it, it's not really making people sicker. And that the vaccines, particularly the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine, hold up against it very, very well. The efficacy stays there. Now, if you're not vaccinated, you're in one of the southern states. Maybe you're in Arkansas where they're just, you know, killing the hospital system there. But you're not in the financial centers of the country. So where the commerce is going, where the economic recovery is really clicking, that continues to go. And there is no appetite. Even in New York City, with Bill de Blasio, who's made as many missteps as you can for even putting masks back on. So activity is going to continue. I think you see some trepidation among the really, uh, you know, the family enterprises Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. young kids aren't vaccinated yet. But that made me more optimistic. And if you took a look yesterday with the turn in the 10 year, it was I was watching the Senate hearings with, with Fauci. And when they started talking about what I just said with the Delta, the 10-year reversed. So the 10-year was sold, said being bought, and that's what did it. And that gave the market an extra leg as well. So look, so I think if you look at the data coming out of Israel, that there is some, you know, some degradation of the efficacy of the vaccine six months out in contravention to what Fauci's saying. Nine months out, 12 months out. So we may have to deal with it at some point. I'm not wildly bullish, but I did take the opportunity to put some money back to work. All right. So Joe Terranova, uh, maybe all of this is why Tom Lee, you know, who's been mostly bullish uh, throughout and frankly, mostly right, says, could this have been Mm -hmm. the chop? And now it's greedy time, he asks. He said the odds are high that we might have seen the crescendo in market panic and capitulation. You think that's true? We expect Delta to be more bark than bite, he says, and the sell-off associated with it not likely to be a larger 10%-plus drawdown. You think Tom Lee's right? I mean, the market seems to be voting that way over the last couple days. Well, here's the answer to that. There's two conversations you could have. One conversation is, if you're a long-term investor, you bought an index, whether it's the Russell, the NASDAQ, the S&P, or the Dow, you set it and forget it. Basically, you win a few hundred basis points in terms of performance of each other. If you're trying to create alpha within the market, which is exactly what Tom is doing, then we have to look at this market for the entirety of the year and understand you're going to continue to see corrections within the market. It happened in February for the hypergrowth technology stocks, the momentum stocks. It is now happening for the roaring 20s global growth trade. You're seeing the unwind there. So what do I do with that? I take what Tom is talking about and I try and find stocks and use the Russell 2000 as example. Those are the type of names that have fallen precipitously, 10, 15, 20% from their previous highs. You could talk about City, you could talk about Caterpillar, you could talk about Freeport McMoran, CVX, you could talk about the regional banks. They are all down double digits. That where the current correction is. I agree with Tom, I think now you lean into that and that's what I've been doing so far this week. I think you lean into it, 
You understand that much of that correction has been absorbed and is probably over. Yes, there's probably been an overreaction in unwinding that roaring 20s global growth story. And going back to John's earlier comments, a lot of this, Scott, is about the bond volatility that we're experiencing. In the last week, you've had 30 basis points from 142 down to 112. You didn't move 30 basis points from early April until the middle of June. So that global growth trade, I think you begin to put positioning back on there. All right. So what does that mean? Right? You lean into it. I mean, are you buying the KRE then? Let's get specific. But I'm talking bought, around uh, it. Well, I'm not talking around it. If you want specific, say, what did you buy? You didn't say, what did you buy? You said on you Monday, lean I into it. I bought Bungie. You said you lean into it. I was on waiting Monday, for the payoff. Please let me finish. On Monday, I bought Bungie. I told you that I bought Bungie. It was down to its 200-day moving average. Stephen and I talked quite a bit. I discussed with Stephen buying that agricultural name. You asked me what I would do with Honeywell. I think we got a question from a viewer. That's a great example of a global growth trade that I said you buy on Monday. Yesterday, recognizing that we have this reversal in bond yields and understanding, by the way, Scott, that we're now at $8.2 trillion in the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, an all-time high. That liquidity just continues to persist. So I went in. I want exposure to where I could create the most alpha if we're going to see a rise in yields. You're not going to find that in money center banks. You're not going to find that in the capital market trades that I have in Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. You find it in the regional banks. That's got the highest correlation, the highest beta. I went. I bought the KRE, the ETF. Okay. Appreciate the specifics, hey, Joe. Scott, can I just make can I make a quick point? Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Can I make a quick yeah. point on what Joe just said? Yeah. Because I think it's extremely important. Mm-hmm. He mentioned the federal balance sheet is $8 trillion. At the depths of the 2008 financial crisis, it was only $4 trillion. So we've got that liquidity, mm-hmm. and we've doubled it. And that's why the market's going to continue to go higher, in my view. If markets go up, markets go down, I think we're in the up phase right now. I don't think earnings could be a huge catalyst. We're expecting 62% growth, but it'll be nice. Now we'll hear from the companies. They're not concerned about the Delta issue. We heard that from Delta Airlines and United as well. Well, I mean, maybe next week is going to be a big tell on that, Steve, when you've got the FANG stocks. Could be starting to report right there and there has as you know as as somebody said maybe it was joe or or i can't remember uh, about this rolling correction that we've had by the way i think mike wilson is with us tomorrow as as a matter of fact uh, who has been calling for a correction and has noted for weeks and weeks and weeks this rolling correction which by and large has not hit the fang stocks yet which is a bullish sign for the market i mean you can only take it one way if the big Widely held stocks haven't gotten hammered, uh, and until they do, that remains a bullish sign. So Lee Cooperman weighed in on the FANG stocks, too, his largest positions. Let's listen to what he said. When you look at Google, you look at Facebook, you look at Microsoft, you look at Amazon, if you believe the economy is going to grow and interest rates are going to stay where they are, they're not overvalued. And as I've made a point under your program uh, probably over a year ago, there's three markets out there. There's the FANG market, there's the Robinhood market, and there's the everything else market. I traffic a little bit in the FANG market because I think they're great companies that have really uh, uh, had demand pulled forward by at least five years because of the virus. So my biggest family office position is Google. The people that run that are a hell of a lot smarter than me. They, they can keep me covered in technology. I own a very big position at Microsoft. I can say the same thing about them. 
I own a decent position, Amazon, and I own a little bit of Facebook. I missed that one. All right. So, Kate Moore, you got three markets, according to Lee Cooperman. It's hmm. bang, the most stable, if you will, place to be right now, just given where rates are, given concerns about Delta and just where the growth is going to be. Look, I think there's a lot of that mega cap tech, and I'm not going to just say Fang. I think there's, you know, other companies in that category that are going to produce this stable, sustainable earnings growth. And that's, I think, what we're all going to really care about as we move into the back half of the year and into 2022. And so, you know, we really like the space, and it's a place we've leaned into that on weakness we will continue to add. But, you know, I heard Joe talking about the regional banks a moment ago. I appreciate that we've had a big correction in some of these spaces. But we think most of the banks trade is frankly done. You know, if we have these periods where yields rise dramatically, very short uh, periods of time, sure, you'll see the banks outperform. But we prefer to take a couple chips off the table across banks, actually, uh, continue to lean into resources and continue to lean into that tech side that really has the sustainable earnings growth I was mentioning a moment ago. Joe, you want to, um, you know, rebut that from, from Kate Moore? Well, I'm sure Kate would agree with me. We don't want to do that on the asset managers. But uh, what I'm doing here in the regional banks is more for a trade than anything else. The question I would have for Kate really is, is does she suspect that we are at peak growth? Because if she, if she does, then the right place to be is with the FANG names. The right place to be is in the technology names and financials will struggle going forward. Look, I think we've readjusted our growth expectations, some on the Delta variant and some in just in, in terms of where we are in terms of the recovery. Like the full reopening restart mm -hmm. may not play out through the balance of the third quarter. We may have to like actually get into the beginning of 2022. But I think the real debate in the market, and we'll see this play out a little bit over coming months, is whether or not we return to pre-COVID growth levels where, you know, FANG and high quality sustainable growth really leads the market, um, or whether or not we have these, some cyclical upbursts and, you know, second derivative of growth really improves again. I'm a little less convinced second derivative of growth is going to dramatically move higher. And so kind of the deep value, deep cyclicals play and, you know, into some of the lower quality banks. I'm just not sure that's going to be leadership uh, as we move forward. Doc, on the FANG question, as we look ahead to what's really going to be on the line next week, and we have many days ahead of these reports to actually talk in more specifics as, the, as those days get closer. For somebody who owns Apple shares, you bought Apple Hi, calls. This is you, you bought Apple calls just yesterday. You own Microsoft shares and calls, mm -hmm. Facebook shares, Amazon shares and calls. Rosenblatt today reiterating Microsoft is a buy. Bernstein reiterating Amazon is outperformed. Morgan Stanley reiterating Apple is overweight. What's on the line <laughs> for real with, with these stocks? Yeah, exactly, Scott. In other words, uh, I hate these growth stocks. Um, yeah. I, I, quite the opposite, as, as you <laughs> might imagine. I love the growth stocks. And I think that, as I said, with rates plumbing down, but not, as Joe said, going down nearly as fast as we talked about earlier in the year they were going up. I think that just plays right into the strength. That end, of course, you've got a big um, upgrade cycle for Apple. Now, one of the things working against them, quite frankly, Scott, was not only the heat in China, but then the subsequent floods. That is something that since Foxconn and some of the big other uh, manufacturers over in China that put together the products that we're talking about, in particular the iPhone, um, that's problematic if it continues for weeks. If it's just a couple days, I mean, we all feel horrible about people getting caught in 
floods and uh, factories being shut down. But if it's not a long term thing, if this is something that they can get back online relatively quickly so they can meet demand for the third and fourth quarter, then I think Apple's a buy. Facebook's a buy. Um, obviously, uh, yeah. the Amazon and Microsoft. I mean, I love the growth stocks, so I'm still just loaded up on this particular sector, Scott. You know, the other one that we have sort of removed from the FANG complex because we just don't consider it in the, in the same way that we do some of those mega cap techs, Netflix. So, Shan, what do you make mm-hmm. of this, right? The stock's down. Uh, you got concerns about subs. You got Real concerns about competition now. Moffitt Nathanson, they reiterate they're neutral. 465 is the price target. That's 8% lower from here. Michael Nathanson on the network earlier today says, it seems to me that competition is a problem. I ask you, are the best days of Netflix now behind it? don't think so and and I can see why people would be concerned about you know the potential for competition and clearly you know Netflix has shown that this is an area that you can make a lot of money um, and people are interested in subscribing right so you know success breeds competition that's what happens Um, I think what's important to think about is that I read an article um, in the Financial Times this morning that stated that Netflix needs to go out and buy a studio and that's gonna fix all their problems I actually think what's brought viewers to Netflix has been that they have done something different. They've created content that's differentiated from what you see um, in mass market studio releases. And so I I think that Netflix is going to see an increase in subs in the second half of the year as they have new content that comes out. I think this, uh, you know, move into gaming as a supplement and to make their subscribers stickier, I think is a great maneuver. Um, And I'm actually really excited over the next couple of years because because I do think that some of the competition, it's not just going to be everybody versus Netflix. All of these different streaming providers are going to be fighting one another. Um, and just looking at sort of their their current subscriber base and the ability to grow that internationally, uh, I think, you know, this is a different kind of stock, though, Scott. This is a stock that's going to start to generate real free cash flow. This is a stock that is more mature than it was, say, five years ago. So perhaps it leads to a different investor. But I'm very excited about the business and I'm excited about the execution that they can, you know, proceed with over the course of the next couple of years because streaming as a total addressable market is going to continue to grow. I, mean, I almost wonder if you're inadvertently painting a dimmer picture, Shan, by suggesting it's not, you know, Netflix versus everybody. What if it's everybody versus everybody? And just a more competitive landscape takes away a bigger pie of potential subscribers for Netflix, that everybody's just cutthroat competing with everybody and everybody's going to get their own little slice. But it means Netflix is not going to get what it thought it once would because everybody else is coming in to the business to compete against it. But you're assuming that that, you know, the pie is the same size. And I think what you're seeing... But when you see it internationally, when you see the growth that's available, when you see the changeover in the fact that content, you know, we still haven't seen a meaningful amount of amount of people cut the cord here in the United States. That isn't a trend that has been, you know, it's been talked about a lot, but there's still a lot of people subscribing to cable. You and I both know that. And so I think that there is certainly areas for this business to continue to grow and expand to pick up Mm. more potential subscribers as they pursue gaming so i you know i think this is a great time to enter into netflix jp morgan put out a great note on netflix this morning raising their price target um i'm excited about the stock and excited about content in general because i think the pie continues to get bigger it's not like doc that that 
you know, Netflix's pain, if you will, is Disney's gain. Disney's not doing anything today because it may have some of the same issues that Netflix does. It's not a zero sum game. It's not binary one versus the other. It's everybody against everybody else. And if Netflix is is having potential growth in sub problems, then maybe Disney is going to as well, that everybody who wants these services has them to some respects. Others are going to grow faster because they're newer into the ballpark, if you will, with newer offerings. But what, what are we to make of that? For somebody who owns Disney calls and, you know, for a stock mm-hmm. that it had had a great run and had now is stalled recently. Yeah, it is definitely stalled. Scott, I talked about some strategies that we could use to uh, uh, get people back into the 180s on that particular stock. But I, I think that this is a brand, uh, Disney. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, of course, Marvel and I mean Star Wars uh, and the Disney catalog. That's something that Netflix does not have. They have great programming. We know that um, over at Netflix, but they don't have Black Widow. So, for instance, Netflix in theaters has never done anything. Um, Disney used to rely on theaters, but then AMC and the rest of the theater owners would take 40, 50 percent of the cut for uh, the movies that were shown there. And they got, of course, all of the ancillary sales as they should. Um, Now you've got a situation where Black Widow unseats um, Fast 9 like that as soon as it hits. uh, And that's because people are streaming it at home, Scott. That's because they paid $29.95 and didn't have to give up 40% over to the theaters and so forth. So that's something that that's a lever Netflix cannot pull yet. Um, And like I say, those brands, Star Wars and Marvel in particular, um, are things that the other uh, streamers just do not have. They have great programming in some cases. um, And Disney has these brands that draw people in over and over and over again. And that's sticky. And that's why more people are likely to stay with Disney. And I think why I'd be comfortable holding on to that one rather than Netflix here. You know, as we we think about, you know, post-COVID reopening experiences and getting out and doing things and going to to Disney and to Universal, our our parent company, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve Weiss, I'm curious to know why you sold the remainder of your Live Nation shares. Um, I just I think it's interesting in and of itself, but also because, you know, in the big pullback in the market over the last couple of days, Josh Brown, who was all over this name from the get go, was a buyer on the dip. Why are you a seller of the remainder of your shares either yesterday or today? Well, I had like an odd lot, odd lot left because it just hadn't been working as Delta virus news spread and uh, the recovery was put in doubt. Uh, it was just a name I wasn't committed to. Uh, I had done some work on it, for sure, because uh, I don't buy anything that I don't do any work in. Uh, but I saw other names that I liked better. And I'm not so sure about the reopening trades. I'm not so sure about balance sheets. And I think you're paying in advance for, uh, you know, for the return and the full return. You- His term, Josh bought more. It's one of his high conviction ideas. <laughs> I bought my high conviction ideas. So, you know, that's how I look at it. I'm, I'm not getting married to anything. No, I understand. But you really think I truly, truly believe in what you just mentioned sort of I think is yeah. interesting. You really think the recovery is in doubt? No, that's, uh, that's not what I said. Hmm. I, I, what I said was as the Delta virus was spreading, the recovery seemed to be in doubt and particularly in areas where people were going to get together. Um, but not I'm saying it was one, uh, like was a one do, or two day which, market move. 
right? That's why we asked at the very top of the program whether we think the market overreacted. Actually, Live Nation was something different. I I top-ticket, top-ticketed perfectly, and that's not an honor I want. And it was down for the two weeks since I bought it. And I just looked and said, you know what? I can either, I'd have to buy more. I didn't want to buy more. I wanted to buy more Volkswagen. I wanted to buy more Moderna. I wanted to buy stuff that I've done so much work on and so committed to that will be forever stocks, not just stocks to play a reopening. I just don't think Live Nation is all that cheap. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there. Uh, Kate Moore. The stocks I bought are cheap today. The stocks I bought are cheap today and will be cheap tomorrow. So... Why roll the dice on that? Okay, I hear you. Kate Moore, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. That's BlackRock's Kate Moore joining us. How about Chipotle shares surging after its own earnings beat? The stock hits an all-time high. One of our investment committee members owns it. We'll give you the trade next. Plus, the Milwaukee Bucks NBA champs for the first time in 50 years. Co-owner Mark Lazary back with us today to reflect on that. Talk some markets, too. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says that a procedural vote will happen this afternoon on the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. Negotiations on the legislation are still underway. And on the news tonight, the fight over infrastructure spending and what it might take to cut a deal. Tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Just east of Houston, evacuations are underway around a Dow chemical plant. That's after the plant reported an incident. Local officials say that the impact is low. Dow has not released details on the incident, but an earlier shelter-in-place order has since been lifted. And an Irish official shooting down a U.K. request to renegotiate part of the Brexit deal known as the Northern Ireland Protocol. Britain's Brexit minister has called for a complete overhaul of the protocol, regulating trade with Northern Ireland, saying that the current situation cannot go on. Here now update. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate it very much. Rahel Solomon, thank you. Okay. Joe Terranova got a little angry with me earlier. Now I got to make him feel a little better. Never. We'll talk about Chipotle, Joe. Okay, we'll do it. All-time high today. They cr- I don't know. Does it get any better than this? What this company just delivered? Come on. 
you know me 15 years. You've never seen me angry. I love you. I'm not angry with <laughs> yeah, you. right. Chipotle? Chipotle? Oh, listen. That was, Jim Crane is so right, that was such a phenomenal quarter. Scott Brian Nickel is executing on the existing model for the company. He's introducing digital innovation. Customers are embracing it. They have pricing power. And guess what? The analyst community still, still doesn't believe the story. The average price target on this stock is only 2% higher. I got into this stock because we put it into the Quality Momentum Index. Uh, that was the reasoning behind it. I studied this company and it was so amazing to me, not just the growth that's represented by this company, but the quality side of it, the balance sheet. Scott, this company basically has zero debt. Where can you find in a universe where you're looking for 20% growth, a company that has that type of uh, quality profile? So I'm staying with the name. Uh, just an absolutely stunning quarter. I'll borrow Jim's words. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I listened to Jim this morning, too talk about it. You know, you pick your superlative. I mean, it was a absolutely fabulous quarter, Doc. Great management. They're hiring tons of people. Kramer was talking mm -hmm. about it today. The menu's exciting. I mean, if you're looking for a restaurant-related stock, yep. is this the one to buy? And I ask you that too, Doc, with, with the caveat of it's at an all-time high. Yeah. Well, Scott, I'd say... Uh, um, you look at Chipotle, you look at uh, um, Red Robin Gourmet Burger, which has actually outperformed Chipotle over the past uh, couple years. Um, yeah, pull that one up and take a look. Pull up uh, Jack, J-A-C-K. Um, right now, an awful lot of money is uh, people are upgrading what they buy, whether it's fast casual or fast food, Scott. That's just a fact. You'll hear it echoed from everybody from um, McDonald's to, like I say, uh, yum brands. People are upgrading because they've got a little bit extra cha-ching in their pockets from the stimulus money. And I certainly hope that continues and I hope uh, that these stocks continue on this path. But like I say, I think Joe made a fabulous trade on this one. I think the, the worst trade here was McDonald's when they spun it out, um, you know, during their uh, troubles a few years ago, because Chipotle has been a fabulous trade, you know, with the only exception being, of course, when they had the tainted lettuce or whatever it was. Um, this thing has just been on a tear. Uh, but fast casual as well as fast food um, have really benefited from what's been going on with uh, tossing money out uh, to perfect strangers, Scott. Hey, the other one I'm looking at is, is United Airlines. And, you know, I'm looking at it right as we speak. It's up almost 4%. Which which brings me to Weiss. Look, see the see the smile on his face. He knew I was coming to him because he sold it last <laughs> week. Too early, Weiss. Well, it depends where I put the capital, doesn't it? Uh, there's always another side to a trade. Look, I, even with the move today, I still wouldn't have gotten even in in the investment because my cost was higher, my blended cost. But when United came out and said we're spending this much money on new planes, I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the side. I don't like the balance sheet, and I'm going to wait for Delta to trade lower. And at that point, don't forget, it was also about the Delta variant and the uncertainty as to what that would mean in terms of people willing to get on a plane. So, you know, I'll go with what I said. It's, um, it's not something that I was married to. You never get married to airlines at all. You always rent them, and this is no different. All right. Up next, John has unusual activity. We're back in just two minutes.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Unusual activity time. Dr. J, what do you have for us? Scott, uh, Smile Direct Club is what I'm going to start with today. SDC. This was a $15 stock back in January when we talked about it, Scott. That stock has bled off hard. And now at $7 a share, I love the upside. And somebody scrambles in. They buy the August 7.5 calls in pretty big numbers. I joined that. And I'll probably own this one to September or even further out into the future, Scott. Second trade, take a look at Square, because uh, just about the time this program winds up, Jack Dorsey, Kathy Woods, and uh, Elon Musk are going to be talking about Bitcoin and so forth. And Jack Dorsey, Square, is really going to be pushing Square and the developer space that he's got for uh, Bitcoiners there. I love this trade. Short term, July 250 calls. I'm in those. The stock was 251 when I bought them. Um, I'll probably be in those calls, Scott, in the neighborhood of two days. Quickly, Boeing yesterday fast, as well as CCL. Both of them screamed higher. Bang. Cashed out. All right, Doc. Appreciate that very much. Thank you. Coming up, Avenue Capital Chairman Mark Lazary, also the co-owner of the NBA champ Milwaukee Bucks. He'll join us next. The Milwaukee Bucks winning their first NBA title in 50 years last night, edging Phoenix to win the series in six games. Owner Mark Lazary joining us now to reflect on that. Probably a little tired, but nonetheless, (laughs) what a win. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Scott. Yeah, no, uh, I've been up all night. So, yeah, it's... uh, it's a great feeling, and it was, uh, it was a phenomenal game. You know, I think we have some video of you uh, hoisting the O'Brien Trophy. And as we look at that, can you just give us an idea of what this felt like from, you know, you bought the team for $550 million seven years ago, and now you reach the mountaintop? Um, you know, it, it's a bit surreal because everybody tells you it's going to take forever to win a championship, and you got to get lucky, and we did. Um, it's, you know what, it, it, it's a phenomenal moment because yesterday I went out before, um, you know, before the game and we had 50,000 people outside and I was walking around and you could feel the energy and everyone was just so excited. And it was like, look, we got to win. We got to win. I'm like, you're telling me we got to win. Yes, we got to win. So, uh, yeah, when you lifted that up, it was like it was great for the city. It was great for the fans. Um, and by the way, just so you know, um, it felt pretty good for me, too. So I liked it. Yeah, I, I bet it did. And I, of course, I saw you with your partners there, too. I mean, yep. Mark, when you when you reach the pinnacle um, as an owner, how does it make you think about your ownership? And when you really do put everything into perspective from five hundred fifty million dollars seven years ago or so to what the team is, is likely worth today, which is probably close to some two billion dollars. Um. Yeah, I'm sure it's worth more. I think for Wes, Jamie, and I, when you look at it, part of it is just it's been an incredible journey. And that 
I, you, you actually really appreciate how difficult everything was. Um, so I think that's sort of what you feel that, you know, you couldn't have done this without obviously the players, the, the, the coaches, the organization and how much goes into it. And I know it sounds a little, uh, hackneyed, but that's actually what it is. It's just, you, you really needed everybody and everybody had to be together to do this. Um, and look, and we needed Giannis last night. I mean, 50 points, 719 from the free throw line. Um, he established himself as the best player in the NBA. Can you put his rise into perspective as, say, you know, literally like the ultimate growth stock from eight years ago? <laughs> I mean, is. we're talking about a guy who was a street vendor in, yeah. in Athens many, many years ago. And, and here he is on the top of the game. You just rewarded him with a, a max contract, right, which yeah. is um, which is going to be two hundred twenty eight million dollars for, for five years and yeah. he did it the, the opposite way that everybody else seems to be trying to do it now with going somewhere else and forming these super teams. He could have left, but yeah. he stayed. He stayed because I, I think he loves the city, loves the organization. Um, but I think the biggest reason is he wanted to prove that he's his own person and that with the teammates that he had, he could do it. He didn't want to leave and go somewhere else. And I think he showed that this year. And I think you saw it last night. I mean, um, in the beginning, we weren't really doing that well, and he put us on his back, and he just carried the team. And you're right, Scott, when you think about it, um, from where he was eight years ago to where he is today, it really shows you that if you really drive and you have the talent and the focus, that anything is possible. And that's really what I think he exemplifies. Um, and, and that's I think that's what America and people should really – take from this is that anything is possible if you have the talent and the skill and you have the, t- the determination. How does this make you think about the future of your, your ownership in, in, in any way, if, if it does? Are you in this for the long haul? Does this change that way of thinking at all? Oh, I think we've been in it for the long haul. I think it's uh, now that you've done it, um, now you want to try to do it again. I know. And now you get greedy because when you're sitting there, you're like, God, please, just this, just let us win. And I'll never ask for anything again. <laughs> and, and then when you win, you're like, I was kidding. Uh, so, but you'd like it to be now, now that you've done it and you've experienced it. Now the focus is, okay, how can we repeat? Um, and I think that'll be the focus, but for right now, we're just going to enjoy the moment. Yeah. We're happy for you for certain. Let me just, uh, if you'd oblige me, just, have you had any chance to even think about the markets over the last handful of days and, and some of the volatility and the turbulence that we've yeah. seen in your, in your day job? I have. It's a bit crazy. Um, it sort of lets you know, I mean, for day traders, I think it's got to be awesome. I think for long-term investors, you just got to remember um, the economy is doing great. I know everybody's worried about the virus, but ultimately at the end of the day, the economy is great. Rates are low. So you want to be an investor um, and you're going to be doing well. Just don't worry about sort of the you know, a lot of sort of the daily news that's going on. All right. We'll let you get on with the rest of your stuff. We know you're busy. Parades tomorrow. We'll look for you there as well. We'll can talk I, to you soon. Can I do, can I do one thing? Mm-hmm. I wanted to just put on my hat. Man. Yeah, there you this go. Is it. <laughs> you looked good in it last night. Uh, you certainly looked good raising the trophy, too. So thank you. Have a good one. All, all right. right. You Take as care. well. All right. That's Mark Lazary joining us there. Ask Halftime is coming up next. You can send your questions in by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. We're back after this. 
All right, it's time to answer your questions. Joe, a video question for you starts us off. Hi, I'm Jake from Connecticut, and I love to play Roblox. And I think that will be a good company to invest in as I'm a long-term investor. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Thank you. All right, Jake, we love the question. Thank you. Like the Captain America, I think that's what that was, though, PJs, too. All right, uh, Joe, what's the answer? Oh, boy. Jake, that is such a great video. I love investing around what you know. Uh, this is a company, Jake, that is clearly uh, gaining significant market share in the $800 billion industry we know to be the metaverse. What I want to see happen with this stock is the younger generation, Jake, like yourself, yes, they're engaged, but I want an older generation to get engaged. I want international players to get engaged. I think that opportunity is there for this stock. And guess what, Jake? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a small position in the stock along with you, and I want you to follow up with a video question in the coming months, and we'll see where this stock is together. All right. Awesome stuff, Joe. Appreciate that. All right, Dr. J, video question for you. Hassan here from Toronto, huge fan. Thank you for the opportunity. My question is about NIO, ticker symbol NIO. Is NIO a buy because of the huge growth that's in front of it? Or regardless of the growth, is it a sell because we just don't know what the Chinese regulators might do next? Is it worth the risk? What do you think, Doc? Well, um, he's exactly right, Hassan, is about uh, the Chinese uh, authorities and perhaps what they might do as far as a clampdown. Um, but I think the stock uh, will recover towards that $62 level. I bought the stock today on the 21st of July, um, mm -hmm. and I see upside to at least 60 from here, Scott. Yeah, getting some nice upside today, better than 7%. All right, Shannon, Nora in Jordan, ICNBC. Just want to know your thoughts on P&G for a 15-year-old. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, investing for a 15-year-old is great. Uh, anything is better than nothing. Um, I think from a longer-term perspective, if the time horizon is sort of infinite and not necessarily for college, I'd look more at a you know an index play and an you know, SPY or an IVV play, or um, a growth stock. You know, one of the the Fang stocks we talk about so much on here because that can really start to compound growth over the uh, over the foreseeable future. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Okay, final trade time. Hey, Dr. J, they tell me you just bought SoFi calls. I did, Scott. Uh, man, it's just exploded in volume. 20,000 of those in the first four hours of trading. Wow, interesting stuff. Thank you. All right, Shannon, what do you have? Thank you. EA, they report August 4th, and they bridge the gap between gamers and people who like to play video games, okay. um, which is what Netflix is targeting. Steve Weiss? I'm taking this $20 I took from Tepper on the golf course yesterday and adding two shares of Porsche okay. to my core holding. Doc, thank I mean, you, uh, Joe, give me, a, give me a name quick. Mosaic. All right, thank you. Does it for us, the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.